It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right, welcome to Money for Lunch. I am so glad you're here. I want to say thank you so much for uh, being a uh, fan of Money for Lunch, a supporter of Money for Lunch, and sharing the show with your friends and family. We are going to uh, just dive into it. Uh, we're going to get started with the quote of the day. Sometimes we should express our gratitude for the small and simple things, like the scent of the rain, the taste of your favorite food, or the sound of a loved one's voice. And that is attributed to Joseph B. Worthling. Worthling. Sometimes we should express our gratitude for the small and simple things, like the scent of, a man, of the scent of the rain, the taste of your favorite food, or the sound of a loved one's voice. Joseph B. Worthling. All right, let's get this party started. I'm being joined today by Dana Look Armorita. No. I just I just killed her name, and uh, you know she was so nice to uh, to uh, what do you call it uh, create the phonetic, uh, but it's Dana Look Arimoto. No, Ar yeah Arimoto. Is that close, Arimoto? That was spot on. Oh, okay, great. So anyway, after I, I after I crushed it so many other times, uh, anyway, Dana is the founder and CEO of Phoenix Fifth a leadership and executive coaching company that helps corporations and leaders transform at an accelerated rate as an advisor, coach, speaker, and mentor and author of Stop Settling, Settle Smart. Dana is evangelized her new mindset, method, and movement to destroy the myth of work-life balance. Dana, look, Aramito, Welcome to Money for Lunch. Thank you. Hi, Bert. Hey, good to have you here. Good to have you here. All right, so tell us about the book, Stop Settling, Settle Smart, Rethink, Rethinking Work-Life Balance, Redesign Your Busy Life is the complete title of that book. And what was the catalyst behind writing the book? Start with that. Sure. I like to say, how many pneumonias does it take before we get it, that there's no such thing as work-life balance? Yes. I love that. Uh, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, I love that. Go ahead. Yeah, and, you know, unfortunately for many of us, type A, overachieving, workaholic types, where there's a lot of good in that. There's so much passion and inspiration and impact, especially throughout our career. But as you got to know me a little bit when we talked before we decided you'd have me on this show, which I'm grateful for, there's my great gratitude for today. We, we talked about the notion that at some point we start to get it, that we can't do it all in order to be our all and have it all. And somewhere along the line, we were fed this line, either in media or by our heroes in my neck of the woods, Silicon Valley, for 20 years. You know, I was aspiring to be like Sheryl Sandberg or Marissa Meyer, um, Steve Jobs, you know, these uh, 
incredible people, Elon Musk, that I'm surrounded by in my own planetary situation. But yet I watch the way they operate and I look at the employee engagement and what's happening throughout their leadership teams and on the ground with their employee and workforce. And I think about myself and the way I led companies for so many years. And we can't do it all. No one person can do it all. So I decided it was time to blow up the mess to help others figure out that there is a way to settle smart and get what you want. Yeah. You know what? And it's, I, I love the fact that, you know, that question, how many, how many pneumonias are you going to get or how many heart attacks are you going to have or how many divorces are you going to go through? And I think that this idea of working 12, 15 hours a day kind of became a measuring stick, if you will, uh, for how committed you were to the company, right, or how committed you are to your goals or whatever you want to call it. And then this whole idea of life-work balance is – you know, kind of made its way into the, into our, uh, uh, we call it uh, lexicon. And I think that it is a myth, uh, you know, you just have to stop and take a break, whatever you want to call it, but Hey, you put it, you put in your eight or 10 hour day and now you're going to go home and, and be home, be with your family or, you know, whatever, that looks like. And, and I think that a lot of people are sometimes even today are afraid to say, Hey, I want to spend time with my family. That's right. And you know, it's this conscious trade-off that is really the mindset that I am suggesting and teaching. So the conscious trade-off that I'm either going to voluntarily decide how I want to spend my time and who I want to spend it with and where I want to spend it, or it's going to get decided for me, and it doesn't always come in a pretty package. And that is this notion of, you know, for me it was pneumonia. For other people, unfortunately, it's even more serious, like you said. So, you know, what is it going to take to wake up and realize I do have a choice situationally and relatively you know, no Pollyanna BS, just reality. And then how am I going to consciously make those trade-offs? And for the employers, especially executive level people that I coach, the wake-up call is on them because there's this mismatch. So, for example, some companies will put in their signature block, we do not expect email communication after midnight. <laughs> right. I mean, even that that signature block is ridiculous and I'm sorry for some of my clients that are listening because you know I'm talking to you and we've <laughs> talked about this privately so I won't call you out and some of you are publicly traded so I'll be really nice but the truth of the matter is that in itself actually says the opposite thing and I've talked to CEOs a lot especially having been a CEO and what we talk about is we lead by example we do walk the walk and talk the talk, and people do follow what we do, not what we say. And it's no different than parenting or being an aunt or an uncle or a big brother or big sister or how you operate out in community if you're giving back in society. It's all the same. And so the other component is not to decouple yourself and be one person at work 
and then put on some like superhero costume and be another person at home or vice versa. Right. You know, the other day my wife and I were out uh, and it was, uh, we're having brunch and there's this uh, look like a father and son. And I, I told my wife, he must be, you know, he must be an entrepreneur um, because he had this, he, he was just staring off into the distance, completely ignoring his son. And his son was watching a video on, on his phone and it was loud. And so I had to, uh, unfortunately, I had to walk over there and tell the guy, hey, can you turn that, you know, that down? Because it was really that loud that it was disrupting our ability to have a conversation but he and and he kind of like you know snapped out of it and said oh yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry and so they turned it down and he went back to whatever it was he was thinking i said you know this guy must be either running a company or he's entrepreneurial or something big and heavy is on his mind because i've been there where i was just like you know completely gone uh thinking about something at work or trying to deal with some uh uh, what do you call it, uh, trying to put some business deal together. Um, and, and anyway, so, yeah, back to what you were saying. It, it does start with us, the leaders, the department heads, the managers, the CEOs. We have to set the standard of, you know, how we're going to do things. And people are watching you whether or not you say anything. That's right. And I appreciate you sharing that story because I too have been that, that guy. <laughs> That's not so funny. I've been that guy. And my kids, now that they're older, they're almost 16 and 19. They'll, they'll tell you those stories. And in my first marriage, cause you know, I'll, I'll play your game here. You're right. Divorce <laughs> and pneumonia for me. Thank goodness. No heart attacks. Knock on my head. You know, my kids would say my mom works and my dad plays. And, you know, I wore that like a badge of honor. And then I became a single mom for 11 years. And let me tell you, it, that badge is not so great. Right. Uh, you know, there's no real prize at the end of that. So uh, it really took a lot for me to get it. And once I really got it and I saw that others were getting it under my leadership, I realized I could do more good in the world if I could carry that message which is why I wrote the book and why I'm on the speaker circuit and why I'm doing as much as I can in a one-to-many approach. Even though I love my coaching practice, it's super rewarding. That's more one-to-one and one-to-company, one company at a time. Right, right. And, and just again, the book is called Stop Settling, Settle Smart, Rethinking Work-Life Balance, Redesign Your Busy Life. Um, all right, so let me ask you this. Let's talk about this idea of settling smart. What does that look like? Yeah, great. Here's a little use case, and if you're listening, I'd love you to do this for yourselves because it takes almost no time but has a big impactful punch. So think about how you love to spend your time. So for me, I do love work. So I'm actually really driven by and rewarded by the impact of the work that I do and the people I support. So that's probably around 38 to 40, 42, depending on the week, hours a week. 
it used to be 60 consistently, like forever, for 20-some years. So now it's down to something reasonable. And as we all know, there's 168 hours in the week. If I sleep around 56 hours a week, if I'm lucky enough to get those eight hours, ask Ariana Huffington about that and her book on sleep and what happened to her. We all need seven, eight hours a night, unless we're those entrepreneurial types, less than 4% of the population can get away with four or five hours a night. So lucky you guys, but for the, the majority, we're sleeping around seven, eight hours a night. And then the rest of the time, which is a significant amount of time left in my week, I love my kids and I love my rescue dogs and I love my new husband of three years, second and final. So that's where I spend the next big majority of my time. Then there's a piece of me that just really wants to get my vitality in order, which is not just working out, but even things like yoga and meditation and walking on the beach and just getting downtime for myself to reset and realign and absorb. You know, one of your last guests talked about, you know, slowing down to grow. And there's this yes. notion of, you know, if you feel the need for speed, you got to slow down in order to speed up so you don't hit the curve and crash the car. I like a different adage, which is when you feel the need to speed up, actually slow down. And for me, that's been a work in progress. It probably always will be. So some purposeful slowing down, you know, whatever flavor that comes in for you. For some people, it's yoga. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's swimming. So it's like that. And then whatever I have left, literally, goes to friends. You know, don't don't all get off listening and go, oh, she's a terrible friend or doesn't like people because it's not true. I just have a very small group of intimate friends that I spend quality time with and acquaintances I've really identified as not in my inner circle. So that's occasional stuff for me. I'm not super social just for the sake of being social. Other people are, and that's awesome. I'm not recognizing that for myself. And then finally, I used to have all this guilt around not doing enough for community. So I would work myself into a, you know, a frothy tailspin trying to volunteer and write a bunch of checks and do all this giving back stuff and free coaching. So now what I do is whatever time is left that's reasonable, I will spend out locally in particular in our community, but I also have something called an angel fund where I coach people that really are up and comers that don't have the means for coaching. And I only mentor one or two people like that per year. So that's my settling part kind of movement for myself. Yes. And I like that. And I like the fact that you said it. this is my version of settling smart because everybody's going to have a different version uh, depending on where you're at in life and how many kids you have and, and what else you have going and, and all that other stuff. Uh, you know, what's interesting is uh, most of my kids are gone. We're, we are part-time empty nesters. Uh, we have a set of twins. They're 18, and they don't spend as much time here uh, with us as we would like. And so now, more than ever, I really try to spend as much time with my kids as possible because it is a limited amount of time. It's just very valuable, and, 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 and this whole thing is very fragile, and, and it can fall apart at any minute kind of a thing. But, you know, it's, it's – I, I don't know who said it, but it's one of those hard lessons that was uh, hard for me. And that is uh, 
the quote about, you know, uh, nobody, you know, at your funeral, nobody's ever going to say, man, I wish, you know, dad worked a few more hours at the office or something like that. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that goes for, you know, moms and dads and, and everything else in between. But we have to make a conscious effort when I say we, meaning us individually have to make a conscious effort to decide, okay, I have to decide what's most important for me. And, and maybe, you know what, if you're single and it's your company and you want to work 60 hours a week, cause it just, you know, what do you call it? You're just starting off. That's awesome. Or maybe it's you and your, your significant other or your spouse and you're both on the same page and man, that's awesome. Uh, and, but if you're, you know, like me, where my spouse was never really involved in my career or my business, and quite frankly, she didn't really care what I did as long as it was, you know, good and legitimate and, and you know, the bills were paid and stuff like that. Uh, she was good to go. And it was kind of my own self-torture, if you will. Uh, that made me want to uh, work more and harder or whatever. I, not necessarily harder, but work more hours. And, and maybe it wasn't self-torture, but I bought into that propaganda, right? I, I was putting in those, kind of like you're talking about, those 50, 60-hour work weeks and who can, get, who can get to the office the earliest and who can stay the latest and all that stuff. And then for what? Yeah, when I first went into business out of college, I was in recruitment and staffing with a pretty prominent global company, and their rule was first in, last out to wow. the office. Yeah, and it never really left me. Somehow it got imprinted as if it were DNA, and a lot of the people I talk to feel the same way. And again, it's so interesting because these sort of Lies we tell ourselves based on myths that we were served up, they're not even true. And so we have to be really careful to be authentic. And when we watch the way the prominent co you know, companies and cultures are shown to us in the media or for those even that we know and we're close with, like I have a lot of friends in Silicon Valley still leading companies and running teams. And it's a real mixed message. It's the recruitment of this talent, which we all need. We all have talent shortages and gaps, and we all need top talent and want to retain them and engage them, and we measure that stuff ad nauseum. And so we do this incredible courtship when we're recruiting the talent. And then they get there, and after the honeymoon period, they're like, hold on. This whole work-life <laughs> balance thing you promised me ain't true, and I can go on Glassdoor and prove it. And frankly, for those of you who are top talent looking for new gigs, look on Glassdoor before you accept the job, please. It's not like a free advertisement for Glassdoor, but there's a work-life balance component. And, and check that stuff out because, you know, on a five-point scale, if a company's getting a 3.3, but they promised you a five, you know, do your homework. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I want to, again, I'll just plug the book real quick. Um, the book is called Stop settling, settle smart, rethink work-life balance, redesign your busy life. Uh, I'm being joined today by Dana Look, our remote toe, our remote toe. I don't know why that's giving me, you know, I don't know. But anyway, 
And that, that uh, was David, spot on. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I, 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 I've been working yeah. on it. <laughs> and uh, so in your book, you talk about embracing failure. Talk about this. Yeah. So I was taught by really the only career mentor I ever had, a guy I worked for for six years at an analyst firm. We did a lot of cool stuff together. He was really a great man and a great CEO, husband, father. So all the hats he wore, he was just, he is a great human being. We're still very close. And he actually told me I was afraid to fail. And I was like, nah, (laughs) I love that stuff. And he really showed me that that wasn't true. And I really hadn't lived through startup the way he had. So he recognized that there were these big F's in failure. You know, you try to do it, you have a startup, it goes bust, and you start again. That's a big F in failure. And there are still lessons, and people do learn. And sometimes they even not only recover, but they learn what they need to learn to have the next big win. And that's not just true in business, of course. It's taking risks. And then what he showed me was there are these little F's in failure along the way, which is experimentation and iteration. And I really embraced that, that I wasn't even taking calculated risks a whole lot. I had good reasons, single mom, risk adverse, financial breadwinner, lots of pressure, lots of drive, used to succeeding my whole life, not just you know in career, but really just being sort of this A-type person who wins. And so I started experimenting and iterating with life, not just at work, especially when it came to my relationships with people, including my own family. And some of the things I tried didn't work, but what I realized was it was a way to learn along the way. And also for those of you that are parents or that influence younger people, either, you know, millennials at work or even people in your own family or community that you spend time with who are younger than that even at the middle school uh, age when things are so impressionable and they're really experimenting themselves, I encourage you to try things and have people that you're close to watch what happens as you course correct and learn and flex your way through life. Because if we don't experiment or iterate, it's actually not any way to grow. It's a way to stay the same. And if the steady state isn't the state you want, you have to be willing to take some risks. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there have been, uh, I think, in my life, all of my failures have taught me more than the stuff that I, that I quote, won from. And especially for, uh, for me, I had to come to grips with the fact that I was, uh, you know, I could easily go from from humble guy to over-the-top, confident, conceited, arrogant, uh, and just, you know, just, you know, the smallest of victories, right? And so uh, the great thing about failing, especially when you fail on a big scale, is that you are humble and you're coachable and you start maybe to reflect on some of those things that are more important. And, and so I think failure is a great teacher. You know, you don't have to stay there, but man, uh, failing can be, a, can be a wonderful experience as you go at, at, 
maybe a, maybe how do I phrase it? It's it's a it's a wonderful experience when you get to the other side, or you know maybe if you're taking notes and you're realizing all the stuff that you're learning from it. And as you said, sometimes uh, a failure helps a company pivot and they go in a new direction where they find success. Yes, it's also a surefire way to avoid what I call identity crisis, which, again, in the Valley, I see all the time. I saw it for myself the one time I was laid off, which was my choice, by the way. I didn't want to make a move to New York when we bought another big company. But I really had a serious identity crisis. I thought I did something wrong because I was laid off as if that was a big mm. F and failure. And so I see that a lot. I see it in my own clients. I actually see it in even my friends that are in other types of industry than what I've experienced. It's really important that people understand you are not what you do. You're just not. You are who you are. And so identifying or over-identifying with yourself at work is pretty darn dangerous. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Dana, we're out of time. I want to I want to give a shout out to the book one more time here. Uh, the book is uh, Stop Settling, Settle Smart, Rethink Work-Life Balance, Redesign Your Busy Life. And Dana, I want to say thank you so much for stopping by and sharing. Thank you for having me. You bet. Good stuff there from Dana Look Arimoto, Arimoto. And uh, you can find her book uh, at Amazon, uh, Stop Settling, Settle Smart. It's the short title, Stop Settling, Settle Smart, available on Amazon. I'm also going to put a link in the show note. And uh, as always, my friends, thank you so much for being here. Let's share this episode with everyone you know. Let's help as many people redesign their life, right? How's it go? Let's help as many people as we can. Stop settling, settle smart, rethink work-life balance, redesign your busy life. Let's help those people achieve that. And as always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.